everybody, welcome to episode 60 of Literary Disco, Twice Upon a Time. Today we'll begin with our usual bookshelf revisit, a segment in which Todd, Julia, and I take something down from our bookshelves to talk about. And then we will take on the e-essay when we discuss a piece published digitally for The Atavist entitled Twice Upon a Time by Hari Kunzru. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me are essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Hi, guys. Good afternoon, Mr. Strong. Hello. And we should welcome Julia back. There's going to be a special episode that talks all about this, but Julia has just returned. It's back on land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Welcome back. She's come to the landlubbers. How was it? We were not stove by a whale, (laughs) as they say. We were not stove by a whale. What does that mean? Um, It means they smash into your ship and, you know, it sinks. Well, it's not so good. Yeah. That's, it's that's what, what happened on the whale ship yes, Essex. There you go. Yeah. Oh right, right. Huh. <laughs> so, um, can we're gonna do a little special thing? But can you tell us like a couple cool things that happened on your whale ship adventure? Absolutely. Um, I would love to. So, number one, I slept below decks overnight in these tiny little bunks. It was really cool. I mean, they're so crammed. Uh, I'll try to grab pictures that really give a sense of scale and put them on our Facebook, but they're very small. They're basically the size of my very short body, so I was okay, Um, but other (laughs) other people had a hard time. Um, And really the highlight for me of the whole thing, well, there's two, because things like sleeping below decks and some of the things that I did, I was able to predict and plan for. Um, but the thing that was just so mesmerizing was watching the crew work the ship and the sails. There's so much going it on. It is so yeah. much work. It is so much work. The the space in, you know, like the space the sails take up is larger than the entire rest of the ship. You know, if wow. you're measuring how tall they are and how wide they are and like how much they have to move, it's just incredible. Like there's so many, so many sails and they each have to be operated by human hands you know they're not they're on no kind of automatic anything so watching the crew who had been working the ship for about a month um and so were therefore experts and really strong and powerful and know everything about you know the name of every rope and everything like that just worked the ship it was so absolutely mesmerizing between that combined with my um seasickness med because we were sailing in a storm (laughs) i was just like a complete zombie um, just it was amazing. It was so cool to watch. But really, the real highlight was, um, and uh, true confessions of Charlotte Doyle fans, we are gonna freak out when I say this. Um, I got to while the ship was sailing, climb into the rigging, which is the ropes that are attached to the mast. They're like ladder ropes that attach to the mast, and you climb up. And like normally, you would climb up to, you know, set the sails and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I got to do that, and it was so terrifying. Um, <laughs> Todd, it was Todd. It was a lot like climbing the tree thing at oh, Ryder's God. wedding. Fuck that. Maybe not all of you know this, but at Ryder's wedding, he tried to kill every hey, single I did person too, that man. was there. It was painful. Did we talk about this on the show? I don't, I don't know. If so. we did. There I don't was think a, so. There was a full ropes course at Ryder's wedding that included a thing where you climb a tree that was like fifty feet high, and then you walk across. A plank. It was just a log. It was just a log. It was up there. It was a rounded log. log. It was a normal tree. Yeah. But you know what's crazy about that? I've never been so scared in my life. Like 150 feet in the air. I think it was only like 30 feet up. But it was. 
I think it was oh. 40 feet. I think it was, it was I'm terrifying, sure it was 40. Like, normally, yeah. Yeah, it was terrifying. Yeah, I, normally, I would say Todd is exaggerating and being Todd, but in this case, I, it really was a terrifying experience. Oh, it was horrifying. Yeah. And there was a kid, there was like some carny, like he, he just come out of a carnival. That was his previous job, and his job now was to hold the rope that we yeah. would repel down on. Yeah, he was like, what Todd, <laughs> what neither of you guys heard, because I was in the first group, was that the aged hippie who was supervising this kid, whose name was Kyle, and Very we nice. owe him all our lives. Yes. Uh, it was his first day. Oh, God. So the aged hippie was like, this is Kyle's oh first day. Now who wants to go oh first? God. It was very Oh, scary. my God. Anyway. Nervous was scared anyway. in my life. So, so it was like that, but on the open sea. <laughs> and with no harness. <laughs> oh, God. You just what? go straight up. Well, oh. and uh, the reason you can do it without a harness is you're not going straight up. They're kind of leaning in. So if you get scared, like I was very scared, um, you just sort of flatten yourself uh, against the ropes, and you know the ship is designed for you not to fly off it. Of course, oh so. My God. Um, but it was so, it was so, so, so cool. I mean, I I was very scared, but I made myself do it. And you have yeah, you to have like, climb. Of course, like, yeah. What and what ships are there? And this is what I will write more about and talk more about later. But like, your whole sense of space changes. There's not like any, you know, there's not like benches and chairs and stuff. It's just like a ship, and then you're. It, the ship's relationship to your body, if you're on it for long enough, gets really weird. So, like, there's no step up. You just have to, like, haul yourself onto the side of the ship. And then, like, I had to get into a, a little whale boat for a second and then climb up into the into the thing. So, it was, mm. it was really cool. It really made me feel like, you know, this children's book character charlotte doyle who i'm sure a ton of listeners will know this how, is a girl thing how big she of was boat? awesome she cut off her hair oh jeez. How, how big of a boat That's was it in length uh, okay i'll look up the dimensions i don't want to say it wrong but it's the charles w morgan is the boat if anyone wants to google it it's a pretty okay. famous boat at least here in connecticut and uh, apparently one of our listeners has also been on i saw they mentioned it on facebook that they had just done um one of the legs of it as well so that's kind of cool um yeah so in terms of the thing that really is important to me what was the food like (laughs) oh my god well there's two answers to that one is that um the seaport didn't they were not interested in doing a reenactment you know what i mean right so it wasn't like a bunch of people dressed up like you know, 19th century sailors. It was just regular yeah, Which would have creeped me so out. Much, I wouldn't oh, like that shit. So Fuck better. that. And you can only so, eat whale blubber <laughs> and le- until your rations run out and then you have to eat each other. So the first thing, yeah, everyone <laughs> I want to drink whiskey out of uh, one and, barrel that everybody's <laughs> dipping yeah. tin cups in. It, incidentally, the, the boat is 113 feet. There we go. That's Perfect. not that big, actually. Not very big. For, yeah. No. yeah. So, uh... So the first thing I saw when I went below decks to, like, the food table was, like, gluten-free muffins that were labeled. And I was like, <laughs> oh. I was like, what the heck is this? But then they also had um, hardtack and salt pork, which is a huge thing that um, sailors would have eaten at the time. So I ate a lot of hardtack. It's very hard. I bit my lip. It was what traumatizing. It? It's, like a it's yeah, just, it? like, a totally dehydrated bread. Hardtack is, like... It's, it, you know, like, this voyages are, like, two years long. So, imagine what right. what would keep for that long. Um, and it's hard tack. And then salt pork is, like, and that's Ho-ho's, exactly what it ding-dongs. sounds like. It looks like dog food. And it tastes like dog food. I ate it, but oh. it wasn't it wasn't great. 
you ate it mostly for the sense of the authenticity. Cause yes, I did. If you, if I did not eat <laughs> could, anything gluten free. The gluten free. <laughs> no, why would you? Like you're on a boat and you're a little bit nauseous, and now you're going to eat something that also tastes bad and makes you hungrier for the things you really want in this world. <laughs> no. Yeah, had it been like a full fat amazing muffin, I would have eaten. Yeah, it. yeah, you're right. You're like right. if they had like a giant continental spread <laughs> if they had, like, of you cinnamon know rolls? chocolate muffins, mocha muffins. Right, you would have gone to fucking ham yeah, on that shit. I will <laughs> but, confess, but you don't want a cheap imitation. I did put at one point. So they have like everything else spread out. They have all this shit everywhere. And uh, at one point, I had eaten. A lot of hardtack, and I I had put she was on drunk it. on hardtack. <laughs> let me let me ask you a, a, a quick question. What, what's uh, what's what's hardtack like coming out the backside? Is it uh, does no, it keep its form? You know what? This. I'm not gonna talk about this because you are gonna want to hear what I I'm gonna say. So like they All also right. had a jar okay. of Nutella, and I put Nutella in hardtack, oh. and that was really good. It's really good. That's delicious. Yeah. yeah, you could put Nutella on. on that totally fits the 19th century, good. right? <laughs> Why did you say that? Did you say foreskin? Don't say that. Did, did I? Did I say foreskin? I didn't. I want to step out. Oh my it. god, <laughs> that was awful! Oh gosh! All right, this is one of those episodes. Okay, we're in a good mood. All right, let's move on to our uh, bookshelf revisit. I'll go first, and we'll get. <laughs> And we'll get back to uh, Julia's Wellship Adventure soon. We're going to have a little special episode where Julia talks all about it. So keep listening, listeners. Um, All right. So I'm going to talk about a book that probably Todd has never read, but I wouldn't be surprised if Julia has. Uh, But I actually want to talk about this book uh, in the negative sense because it's one of those few examples where a movie is better than the book. I'm going to introduce this uh, with a personal, my personal angle. I, when I was a kid... When I was about seven, eight, I, I was convinced I was a werewolf for like a good year or two. And this was the collision of a couple I'm, of different I'm, influences. Uh, yeah, I actually well, believed I was a werewolf. I started something I started um, something called a wolf gang uh, with some other friends, the Comerford twins at my school. Can we just we slow were, down? Yeah. What, what's Whoa, the evidence yeah, that you are a werewolf in your own yeah, brain? What was the first thing? I don't oh, know. On, I just wanted way. it so badly that oh, it was bound to oh, happen. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. One, one moment. Yeah. You are the asshole who tells me I am nuts because I don't because I might believe in, ghosts. in the supernatural. Yeah, at the age but of I don't 40. that I am supernatural. There's a difference between when you're seven years old and you're a grown-ass man. Yes. <laughs> Not if I'm that admitting belief. my private, you know, fantasies as a child. Like that, you, you believe in magic when you're a kid. Okay, I thought I was a werewolf. Also, okay. in my All local right. library, I would check out books on werewolves, and they were like completely unskeptical, straightforward books on how to become a werewolf. And like, right. yeah, you, you find the, I read right, those. Yeah. So. Wait, isn't All there right. only but, one way to become a werewolf? Get bit. No, oh, no. no. You could do a ritual with Wolfsbane. No. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, you get bit by a werewolf. That's the most uh, most wow. direct route yeah. in most. Anyway, uh, it, it was because of Thriller by Michael Jackson, which I was obsessed with, and the making of Thriller. Those were the two videos we had, like you know, on VHS, and I watched them over and over. So that was part of the werewolf obsession. The movie <laughs> Teen Wolf, starring Michael J. Fox, I was obsessed with that movie, and then I was obsessed with wolves in general because of a movie called Never Cry Wolf. Have you guys ever seen this? Never cry. No, wolf. Julie, I thought for sure you would have heard. Okay, it's an amazing film. It's a it's a, based on a true story of this guy named Farley Molot, who was a naturalist who went up and spent time with wolves. 
um, in Alaska. And the whole the whole story is that he basically got dropped off, and but he, he the it's basically oh yeah 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 with yeah. It, it was a Disney movie it was a yes. Disney movie right and it's basically just and the year that he spent guy. alone with the wolves yeah. with one pack of wolves and got to know them and he just records them so the movie is like voiceover and him learning to survive by eating rats and like it's a really it's a really great film. And it totally holds up. I mean, I haven't seen it for like 10 years, but I saw it in my 20s and I was like, wow. And I loved this movie when I was a kid and, you know, kind of got me on the whole wolf kick. But when I was going to Alaska, I do a trip with um, some friends. We do a backpacking trip every year. And one year we went to Alaska and um, I was the, the person in charge of the trip. So I was like, oh, we should all read the same book. So the book I chose for us all to read while we were backpacking was Never Cry Wolf. And it is a horrible book. I was like... You know, just it was horrible to discover that this thing that affected me and that I love the movie actually is not a great book. Um, and it's one of the few times where that happens because I feel like so often the process is it's a great story, but then they make it into a movie and you end up watering so much down or compressing so much. But in this case, um, reading about wolves and wolf behavior is so much less interesting than watching wolves yeah. and watching right. them interact and watching a person, even with voiceover. Um, it was, it's such an entertaining film and it's so fascinating. It gets at the plight of the wolves because of course the, the movie gets into how the wolves are being hunted, um, you know, and how, how to survive in the wild. So, which I loved as a kid too, like also anything that involved like people surviving, I was obsessed with. Um, anyway, it's a great film and a not so great book. Um, and I would love to hear more examples from our listeners of books that make better movies than books. Because yeah. I know I've, I've run into a couple of those mm. in my life, and this is the only one I can think of right now off the top of my head. Um, but I'd love to hear some examples from people because I, I think that, you know, we've talked about adaptation a lot, but I just find that fascinating. And obviously as a filmmaker, I'm interested in this subject. Um, and I was just reading something that was talking about how short stories make better adaptations because they allow a filmmaker to use their own imagination in a way and expand mm -hmm. it, which is totally true of like Brokeback Mountain. I know that that story was only like three pages and it became this epic film. No, no. Brokeback Mountain is it's like a novella. Oh, really? Oh, okay. For some reason I thought it was it's short. It's pretty simple though. I've read it. It's, yeah. It right. is fleshed out, especially an image by the, by the movie. Yeah. Well, okay, um, interesting. The reason I didn't read that is because I was busy reading Julie of the Wolves over and over. I guess this was like a really gendered time, although we would have been friends. Uh, Julie of the Wolves was a fictional novel about an Eskimo who lived with wolves, whose name was Aww. Julie. I was way into Aww. it. Let, yeah. can, I, can I just rewind a little bit here for a moment? Um, at what age, writer did you stop believing you were a werewolf? Well... <laughs> I'm still waiting for the change. Uh, <laughs> I have an, it, I have you an know, incredibly It usually does back. hit during puberty, but um, I think maybe for me I'll be middle-aged wolf. You I'm know, teen, teen wolf. I have, <laughs> I'm middle -aged I have wolf. to tell you, Ryder, like, if I were to peg you as a supernatural creature, that's what I would have pegged based on your yeah. looks. All right. Yeah. yeah I, I was it's, obsessed with werewolves. And then, yeah, I mean, all, I mean, even... So I was like 16 when the movie Wolf with Jack Nicholson came out, which is not a good movie. Not but a good even movie, then, I, I was still into werewolves. Like I just love the mythology of werewolves, and I, I don't really like the Underworld movies. I only watched the first one. Well, really remember like also it, so. at, at that time there was a, a couple big werewolf movies. So there was mm -hmm. Wolf, there was Wolfen, there was The Howling. Um, as like pretty much after, and then American Werewolf in London. Which was great. So American Werewolf Silver in London Bullet. started. I 
Silver Bullet, yeah. American Werewolf in London, I love. Yeah. I absolutely love That's that. That's really the only straightforward successful And that was John Wendis, too, wasn't yeah. it? Was yeah. Did... And it's a weird film because it's actually very funny. But still yeah, kind of terrifying. It's a great film. I mean, it's so well written. It's so well made. Is but it still outside good? of that, like comedies, you know, Teen Wolf and whatnot. But right. you can't. You don't get like like what what is the great werewolf movie? Because they just redid the Wolf Wolfman, which was horrible. I heard right. I didn't see it. But even the original Wolfman, I've never seen the Universal classic. Um, but it's I imagine not it's not that amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I just thought it's not as good agree. of a myth as like. Vampires. I feel like vampire movies have been way more successful. I, although I guess there are werewolves in the Twilight. I just yes, can't right. see that was, movies. That so. was the joke I was just going to make. Um, but all joking aside, a really good instance of werewolf, and I know I think you don't really like this. I, I can't remember where you stand, but I know Todd will agree with me. There's a great wo- werewolf in Harry Potter. It's really yeah. one of the best characters. Yeah. Like In all sincerity, it's one of the things that happens that makes the like makes jk rowling's idea of the harry potter world it really that's really when i got into it was when the werewolf was introduced because it was just a really well thought out character and mythology and history and stuff that was it was really good so you know what i think the challenge of, of werewolves is is that i think historically when the person goes into the change they just become the monster and so they don't they don't have the intelligence and the personality anymore. So if a movie is just about the monster, then it's hard for us to empathize with that or to or to find that as a romantic character. Whereas with right. vampires or something, they might be monsters, but they're still sexy. They're still yeah. in human form. Here, you're just it's just a rabid dog or something. Yeah, right. same with but then those, the Hulk yeah. is successful, right, as a character. And it's kind of right. a similar thing, except the werewolf yeah. can't control it. But yeah, the werewolf mythology, I mean, it's all based on... The Wolfman. A lot of the movies sort of riff on the same idea as a Wolfman, which is, if I remember, if I don't, I, like I said, I never saw it, but I think it's like he doesn't know who he's killing. He like loses control and he just wakes right. up with like knowing that Jekyll he's a murderer. Yeah. yeah, so it's yeah, more like yeah. the beast within me that I can't control, kind of mythology, right. which yeah. is, yeah, it's not as good. Like vampires have that sexy quality, and ghosts yeah. are just, I mean, they're just perfect ghosts. Yeah, ghosts, ghosts are perfect because they ghosts are, are as I think, I think as we all know, ghosts are the actual um, physical embodiment of, of residual energy, yeah. as we know, as Hans Holzer discussed in his landmark oh, book, Paranormal Studies 5, colon, The Ghost. So I really want to nail this down, guys. So obviously, Ryder would be a werewolf. What would Todd right. be? Let's decide. Like, uh, oh. I don't know. You're really not mythical in general. No. <laughs> no. Is there something scary that also has frosting on it? Um, frosting like, a, like a Yeti? Are you like a Yeti? Oh, Frosty the Snowman. Yeah, I'm Frosty, <laughs> frosty snowman. the Snowman. Because when you think about Frosty the Snowman, it's fucking horrifying. He's this jolly ice creature. Oh, no, water has come to form ice that, that comes to form a talking animatronic thing with a hat and a corn cob and all that shit. Fuck Frosty. Frosty is horrifying. You are the yeah, only person in the entire world who is afraid of Frosty the Snowman. I'm just calling it. Yeah, I, all you got to do is just turn on the heat. Not that yeah. scary. That's melt. why he's not. That's why is that why you live evil. in the desert? You're yeah, you're avoiding Frosty. Yeah, that's true. You can't be Frosty because you live in the hottest place on Earth. But I, I buy you as Frosty. That's him trying to suppress his, you know, yeah, natural okay. sense. And what am I, guys? I mean, I, you're sort of like a, I see you sort of as a cat woman. Nope, mermaid. 
hands down. <laughs> oh, mermaid for sure. No, 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 no. Yes, what's you're like a mermaid who no, like swims what, with the whales and like loves the sea the creatures and like protects them. You're totally a mermaid. No. What's and the thing that's half man, singer. half horse? A oh, centaur? A, a, a centaur. centaur. <laughs> she could be a centaur too. She's a horse girl. Yes, you're a centaur. Listeners, weigh in. Mermaid or horse? Centaur. This is good. This is you're good. You're a centaur. Absolutely oh, centaur. 100% wow. centaur. So wait, what are we talking about? We're talking about books? I don't know. Oh, yeah. You have to, you have to revisit a book. Okay, I, I have something. Wow, this is so distracting. I, I find both to be compliments, so I'm interested in... Oh, this is you'd make a you'd make a beautiful centaur. What if I'm mermaid on top, seahorse on bottom? What is that? That's hot. That's hot. I could get if we charge six ninety five a month a for that. Centaur? I could get a, a lot of people into that website. Mertar. 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 Okay. Uh, all right. So my revisit. Hooker by day. Mertar by night. I'm not a hooker. No. No. Okay, oh, wow. God. Um, all right. So I chose actually not a book but a poem and a poet that I'd like to discuss, which I think I've never done before. So um okay. my sister uh sent my dad and I a poem. She's traveling, um she's out in Alaska, probably becoming a wolf or something right now. And mm-hmm. uh she um sent us a poem uh titled Maine by Edna St. Vincent Millay, who is a poet that I love and I feel like gets no recognition as just a really moving poet. Um, You know, I feel like she's pushed over with, like, Robert Frost and maybe even, like, Emily Dickinson of, like, oh, those old poets. But her poems are always really striking to me, and I really love her. So, anyway, I'd never read this one, and um, it's called Maine. I'll just read it. It's really short. Um, and the reason she sent it to my dad and I is that my family is building this cabin in the woods in Maine. So it's our big family summer oh. thing. Yeah. So you will. It has two floors. It's humongous. Okay. Uh, Maine by Edna St. Vincent Millay. Searching my heart for its true sorrow. This is the thing I find to be that I am weary of worlds and words and people sick of the city wanting the sea, wanting the sticky, salty sweetness of the strong wind and shattered spray, wanting the loud sound and the soft sound of the big surf that breaks all day. If I could see the weedy mussels crusting their wrecked and rotting hulls, hear once again the hungry crying overheard of the wheeling gulls, I should be happy, that was happy, all say long on the coast of Maine. I have a need to hold and handle shells and anchors and ships again. Dot, dot, dot. Um, so, you know, it's got some really, you know, at this point, like, you know, you could find a lot of the things mentioned in here in a crappy surf shop in Maine. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) it does have that feeling of surprise and like true emotion behind it. It's, I don't know. It's just a really beautiful poem. And I, I really love it. And St. Vincent Millay. I, now I'm thinking I may have mentioned this before, but one of my favorite poems is, um, what lips my lips have kissed and where and why. Um, it's oh, just, it's, it's like the poem. best title of a poem ever. Um, mm-hmm. And then the poem itself is great too. So, yeah, my, I love uh, her. My friend uh, Jill Alexander Esbaum, great American poet, turned me on to her. And then, mm-hmm. weirdly enough, I was at my friend uh, Todd's house. I have a friend named Todd, and uh, who's not me. And he, his mom and dad had all these old books. And I was looking at them, and, I, and there was an Edna St. Vincent Millay book, and I pulled it down, and I opened it up, and it was signed. Oh my god! And I was Whoa. like, 
how long have you had this book? And Todd's mom said that she thought it had been her mother's book. Um, and so I, we looked it up on, you know, on ABE or something. It was worth, you know, a gajillion dollars. I was like, you don't need this book, right? I could, I could go ahead I and just, take this. Yeah. <laughs> but and yeah, she did. Should a couple of them. <laughs> I wish I had. And that's how Todd bought his first house. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I have a revisit of a new book. So I, I just went on vacation. I just got back from beautiful Sedona. I don't know if have either of you been to Sedona. I know your wife has been to Sedona, Ryder, but you haven't. Have I you? actually shot a movie in Sedona when I was a kid, so I spent a lot of time there. Like really, say about six weeks in Sedona, Arizona, as like an eleven wow. year old. Wow. Yeah, it's a cool place. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I just remember lots of hikes and water stuff, like rivers. Yeah, and, and it was hot. We did, we did a lot of hiking and a lot of good stuff. You've never been there though, have you, Julia? No, I have not. It has absolutely nothing to do with the book itself. It's just I wanted to say that I went on vacation and read this book. Um, but so I, I went on vacation. I wanted to read just a good book that I hadn't heard of. And so I asked everyone on my Facebook to recommend books. And our mutual friend Celeste Freeman recommended a book called Fourth of July Creek by Smith Henderson. And I'd never heard of him or the book. She told me what it was about. And I was like, oh, that sounded interesting. And then I Googled it. And apparently it's been getting the greatest reviews of every, any book in the history of mankind for the last three months um it is called in the flap copy a shattering and iconic american novel and i was like well there's no way this first novel is a shattering and iconic american novel and it turns out after reading the 467 pages of fourth of july creek by smith henderson that it is a shattering iconic american novel (laughs) That's so great. I'm so excited to read this. Cool. The best, the absolute best book I've read all year. Um, oh, that's so cool. Wow. It takes place It takes place in Montana um, and centers around a social worker named Pete Snow, who's living in a small town in Montana, and he's the only social worker in town, and it's 1980. So this is before, you know, Child Protective Services was at the tip of everybody's tongue. Um Reagan had not yet been elected into office when the book begins. The world is sort of in tumult. Um, and he's living in this small town. His, he's left his wife and daughter. Um, she cheated on him and is now moving to Texas. Uh, and, and his job is to you know, watch over the, the, you know, the poor and the indigent children in this area. Meanwhile, his entire life is falling apart. So that's, that's the basic setup. And then he encounters... Uh, a kid named Benjamin Pearl who shows up at the local high school dressed in tatters seems feral and he takes the kid in and tries to figure out where he lives takes him back up into the woods where his house is and he encounters the the boy's father who is already in 1980 an anti-government conspiracy theorist type person um, who threatens to kill him and all this big stuff starts coming up around this uh, kid. But the the father of the boy, whose name is Jeremiah, the father's name is Jeremiah, is drilling holes into coins uh, through the temples of uh, the presidents that are on coins, and it, which is a federal crime, it turns out, to threaten dead mm. presidents on coins. And so this book that starts out as just a, a look at this guy in a small town with his big sort of emotional problems and his life is sort of in ruin and he's trying to help these kids get out of their lives. Tail spins into a giant story of the FBI looking for this guy, Jeremiah Pearl, how Pete Snow is dealing with his life, about where America was in 1980 and 1981. 
and it's this giant picaresque novel of the American West that reads like if uh, Daniel Woodrell wrote really long books, met Pete Dexter, Richard Ford, and Thomas McGuane, and then a crime novel all at the same time. That's Absolutely awesome. amazing. Best book I've read all year. Fourth of July Creek. Just Christmas ordered Anderson. it from Palace Books <laughs> while you were summarizing it. We are Perfect. processing your order. That's what it, it says right now. <laughs> and this dude takes huge chances in the way he narrates the book. And he has a, a term I won't. Well, it's, it's a small term. He uses the state Wyoming as a noun and a verb. Like if you are at loose ends, you're Wyoming. And I'm just like, what a brilliant fucking idea. Uh-huh. Oh, right. You're right. Because it's. It's just, ING, so it sounds yeah. like a verb, right? You're yeah. Wyoming. Yeah. You're Wyoming. When she left him, she was Wyoming. And you're like, oh my God. And so then I had to look this dude up. His picture in the back of his book, he's just a, wearing a gray t shirt and glasses and looks like anyone else. Um, his stories that appeared in some magazines, um, he got a pushcart prize in 2011. He was a pen emerging writer. But in the real world, you know, that's, that's stuff that I would know about, generally speaking. But outside of the world of literary fiction, no one had, had ever heard of this guy, I'm sure. And then he is—he uh, writes or works for the Whedon Kennedy Advertising Agency, which is a big, giant advertising agency in Portland. Um, absolutely fascinating book. And for listeners out there also, the, uh, the author of Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk is one of the people who blurbed the book, Ben Fountain. And he says, Fourth of July Creek knocked me flat. Gorgeous, full body, dot dot dot, and all those things are true. Love this guy, and also um, Smith. If you're listening, call me. I'm sort of want to meet you. <laughs> hey, don't call him. This is gonna, not going to end well. No, like, not going to end well. You're right. Wow, it but, sounds uh, awesome. I recommend it highly. It's a great book. Sounds Absolutely great. great book. It's going to be in all the end of the year lists. I, I right. predict they're ready. Wow, great revisit, you guys. Yeah, yeah like this was I, a good one. Well, it's been a while since we did it, so I feel like we all came. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I just did I a poem. It, my sister emailed me. I, I got to step it up. Well, Jeez. But you did find out. Well, what, I just uh, did a mythological character talk yeah. crap about it. Yeah, exactly. The, really, yeah. the werewolf discussion was worth it. Well, I hope yeah. you'll stick around for the next half of the show where our friend the Murtar talks about <laughs> the latest advent in essay writing. Welcome back to Literary Disco. Um, so now we're going to talk about, uh, I actually brought up The Atavist before on this podcast. It was one of my selections for the best book of the year, which was kind of a cheat uh, last year or maybe the year before. So The Atavist is a um, magazine, a digital magazine that puts out one story a month. Um, and usually they're long form journalism or an essay or a personal narrative. And this one by... Hari Kumzuru is called Twice Upon a Time, and it's a really interesting take on uh, on an essay. It's on an e-essay, I guess, because um, it's about music, and it's about the city of New York, and so it's a really interactive version of what the Atavist does. There's lots of sounds, there's lots of visual images, and it's kind of um, 
I mean, I don't know. Did you guys read this online or did you read this on your smartphone or tablet? I read it on my phone yeah. as I was, you know, encouraged to do it. I read it on, my, it on my iPad with my headphones on. Right. So this is, that's kind of the only way to read yeah. it. I mean, that's what you're, re- it's recommended to, to do it that way. And it actually is not, doesn't take that long, a 20 minute read. Um, but I wanted to talk, we wanted to talk about it because, you know, we've, we've talked about the atavist before, but I, I think it opens up some questions about form and about e-reader, e-reading in general. And I think that this will lead to hopefully a fruitful discussion. I don't think we can talk about it without giving a lot away because there's, yeah. And so I feel like if anybody is interested in what I've just described, which is, uh, a little bit of a history of a real life blind musician who was homeless in New York and this the, a personal narrative of kind of following this guy's trail mixed in with some it's more it's kind of like a prose poem at times it's just a really interesting piece in the atavis and it's only I think three dollars to order so if any of that sounds interesting to you I would recommend going going and buying it and downloading it and listening slash reading it before we get into it because we're probably going to give everything away or yeah but it's not really a spoiler so no but but the reason i wanted to say that is because i think part of the experience of this is not knowing the structure and trying to find what the structure is i mean that for Mm -hmm. me because i didn't know what to expect you know i really didn't know what we were getting into and that was kind of the fun part right was like realizing what you were into halfway through being in it um I don't know. What what did you guys think about it before I jump in with too much of my own opinion? There's so much to say, really. I mean, I, so what I said to, I read it on my phone, which, um, I've never, I want to say I've never done something like that before, but of course I have. I read all kinds of little articles and whatever on my phone. Um, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't, you know, I was excited for and yet ill-prepared for the, like, weirdly immersive experience reading it on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, because it really takes over your device and it's, like, it's beautiful. I mean, the first thing we should say, honestly, is that as an experience, it is so beautifully designed. It's a, it's yeah, it's an amazing, amazingly well yeah, done. So yeah, so right. it looks beautiful. The sounds are super cool. There's all these like effects of different words coming onto the page when you're ready to hear them. Um, so what I said when I was done to Greg, who I was with, like he basically listened to me read it to myself in the car. Um, I was like, I can't even divorce the experience from the writing, and I feel like, almost like it's a trick. Like the experience is so cool that. I had trouble focusing on the writing because I was getting used to this, like, swiping around and these awesome sounds. Um, And the experience was really, really, really affected by the fact that the piece was about sound and had sounds with it. I mean, that was probably my favorite thing about the whole, you know, hour I spent with this was that the sounds were really interesting and that they were, you know, related to the piece and that when you hit certain chapters, the sounds change. Um, Although... I think the future of this is getting people to read it, you know, at the exact same pace so that the sounds can be, like, perfectly lined up. Which I have no idea how you would do that. But it, there is a point where it starts I to mean, it, loop. It, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's pretty well lined up. I mean, you'd have to read really slowly for it not to to work out pretty closely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But you know the you know what I was reminded of almost immediately, and this is not this is not a bad thing actually. I don't know if either of you remember this, but there used to be a um, not a ride at Disneyland, but sort of an experience at Disneyland where you're in a theater and it surrounds you completely, and you're traveling around the world in this theater. Do you remember this? Yeah, Ryan? yeah. Well, it started with a C. It was like it was like. Cinescope, or it was like a. Yeah. It was trying to promote a camera format, I believe. It was yeah. like three projectors at once around in a circular room or something. It was yeah. Right. I, I remember reading yeah. the history about this and was into the cameras. And it, but yeah. And when I was ten years old or something, and I had gone to Disneyland for the first time, and you walked into this thing, and it's no longer there, of course, but you walked in and you stood up, and the in my mind the screens were you know eighty feet high, but who knows? I was ten years old. But they're surrounding you, and so you're in this experience, and you have all the sounds, and you get the vertigo from flying and all that. Mm-hmm. And I was almost immediately reminded of that, because when you're reading here about being on the streets of New York and the different sounds, and you're reading that, and then you hear the sounds, all that is being filtered through your head, it's a, a completely sensory experience versus a narrative experience. Right. And so I was immediately taken back to being in that sort of situation where all the world just comes at you and you're you forget that you're tethered to the ground and so i as i was reading it at one point i was i was reading it in bed actually and completely nude okay 100 percent all right uh, no but i was reading oiled it. up lightly oiled lightly oiled but, cocoa i'm butter, just, a, just like a dusting of oil okay. just i mean in a tasteful way but i was laying in bed and i had my headphones on and sometimes when i read in bed i listen to music but all of a sudden i was sort of stopped being in bed and felt like I was standing on the street in New York even though I was laying in my bed. It was a very unusual and at first kind of unsettling experience. Yeah. But I grew to really like it. Mm-hmm. There's apparently a book, I haven't read this, but there one of when smartphones first hit the market and, you know, people were trying to to play with ways of reading on it, somebody a, a company made a, a version of Dracula that is supposed to be really fun. Um, that does lots of little effects to the text, like you know, because Dracula's public domain, so they didn't. It was a way to sort of publish a book with a new approach. And I think it, I haven't seen it, but there were parts where like you would only be reading by flashlight, so you'd have to use your finger to like go along. You know, if you were in a mm-hmm. dark room in in the story, and you have to use your finger to go along, or like if it turned night, the whole page would start fading dark while you were reading it. They're trying to make reading an immersive experience on the e-reader and so i think well, formally there's the, lots of potential for this that i well, find that's sort of what they actually even do in this there's there's yeah. a moment in this essay where he's talking about um moon dog the 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 singer that he's talking about or the musician and you find out that moon dog has lost his sight and you swipe the page and the page goes black yeah and, and at first i was like oh oh oh, oh. And so there's a, there's a couple things there's a couple things like that Right. There's another point where um, Hari Kunzru talks about um, uh, the lack of sound, about deafness. And all of a sudden you realize that what has been a cacophony in your ears the entire time you've read it is now completely gone. And I actually took my headphones off to see if they were pumping in white noise, but <laughs> there, there was just nothing there. So it, it's a really unusual experience, but I don't even know if it's an essay. Yeah. Okay. So here's where we turn the corner, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's really well done. Well, I mean, one thing that I couldn't stop thinking about is it gets really critical of people being, like, on their phones with their headphones right. in. Right. 
Um, and that's exactly what you have to be to experience this. You know what I mean? So it's saying, like, we yeah. don't listen to real sound anymore. Like, here's real sound, but we need an essay to do that. That's really, that's a strange <laughs> argument. That's a tough argument mm. to make. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just go outside, you know? And, you know, as someone who lived in New York, like, all the things that he was describing, you know, and I guess I've had this experience, so it's different. But, like, there's such an amazing description of, like, the mariachi bands that get on. I used to live mm-hmm. on the stop where the mariachi band started. So I would see them, like, shuffling in for their, like, commute, which was, they were very <laughs> tired. And then they would, like, get on and, like, chill out on the six. And then, you know, the second we started going under the tunnel, they would just be like, da 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 um, right. So, like, the descriptions are enough. Like, I, I feel that the descriptions many times were enough for, for this experience. Like, I like the experience, but it's not, it's not, for me, it's not the future of reading. It's just, like, an additional new kind of media because it's half radio and half reading. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's, it could also very easily be, like, a, you know, radio lab you know, with somebody reading these words. But the experience of swiping around and stuff, there were a couple times, and I wonder if it happened to you guys, where I was like, I have a feeling I fucked up the swiping. And I did, and I went back, and I had missed stuff. Like, I hadn't swiped it right, so, like, extra words would appear. You know, I missed stuff at least three times. I went back because I was suspicious that I was terrible at using my phone. Um, So, I don't know. Like, I, I liked it, but I feel suspicious and... You know, really. Yeah, no, me too. Well, this is yeah. this is why I wanted to talk about it because yeah. in a way, I'm actually reminded of our choose your own adventure conversation. Mm-hmm. In like, it's one of those things. Is the idea better than the execution? Do you know what I mean? Like the idea of let's take advantage of this new technology and create like a tone poem out of it, essay. But then the reality is, I just kind of wanted to read more about the subject. Like I kind of wanted to know more about Moondog than I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and me too. I don't feel like I didn't read this and go, you know the the storyline or the mission that he has is to find, I guess the history or the life story of this blind musician who was homeless in New York and wore a Viking hat. And sounds like a really interesting kind of crazy character who was taken under the wing of a bunch of artists in New York in the sixties and seventies, I guess. Like really um, famous but, people. Yeah. Right. right. But you Phil don't Glass, really, Benny Goodman. Right. And all these famous musicians had a lot of respect for this guy. He was kind of, it's, you know, it sounds like he was kind of nuts, but also a musical genius in terms of like the way he approached rhythm and whatnot. And his music, but, which is played throughout the entire thing is pretty amazing. I yeah. Mean, it, it sounds cool. It's, it's really, but cool. I don't know if I'm like, I don't know if I'm sold that this was the best way to explore Moondog as a subject or, I mean, it, it was interesting. It was, I, I just didn't walk away. I don't know. I, I'm I'm sort of on the fence about the whole. You know. Project. You know what it was also. I I kept thinking like this is sort of like when I end up looking for something on YouTube and five hours later I've gone down a rabbit hole and I'm suddenly looking at um you know live concert footage of Mark Bolin in 1972 for some inexplicable reason that started with me looking right. for a, a clip from a movie or something. Right. No, that's exactly it. It's like, this is a perfect reflection of the way most of us experience like clicking around the internet or mm-hmm. you know, flipping through our phone. But is that a good experience for reading and absorbing information? Well, and I, I don't know. I mean... I, go ahead, Julia. I just, yeah, this is a short point. You know, I will confess this probably took me, I don't know, half an hour to read and experience 
I don't think it's good for my brain to be experiencing anything on my phone because even though it was only half an hour long, it only took me about 10 minutes to be like, how long is this? How do I know how long it is? I can't tell. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. Which is, I'm so ashamed of because for any other episode, I would spend, you know, three to six hours preparing. But the fact that it was so digital, I just started getting like weird phone anxiety as if, you know, like it wasn't worth more time. Did you guys experience that? Yeah, I had to stop myself from like looking at my email because I read it on my iPad and I read a lot on my iPad. Um, I prefer always to read books, um, but like I read student work on my iPad a lot just because it's easier. And I read some books on it if I if I need to download something. But I have a hard time getting really seriously invested in something like this, I think, because it feels like I'm just watching Netflix and I can pause it and go, you know, tweet my impressions of whatever. Um, and it, But it, it's exactly what you said earlier, Julia, is that he's he's spending a lot of time railing against the culture that this is supposed to appeal to. And maybe that's the irony of it, is that here's the perfect piece to appeal to this culture and that culture wouldn't take the time to let it really seep in for them. But the thing is, like, the, and this is where the struggle of this piece is, is, like, I agree with his argument. So, like, there were so right. many things about the writing that I really liked. So I was like, ah, I can't take this. Because I'm like, yeah, this, you know, divorcing ourselves from the sound of the world outside. I totally agree, man. And then I'm like, mm, mm, let me press I'm the on button it. and see what happens. You know, right. it's really... It was a really interesting choice because I've read other stuff on the Atavist that I really liked, but it, mm-hmm. it didn't create this moral conundrum that this piece did by its very subject matter. And yet, I do feel like this form is so cool to talk about music and sound. I what don't know. Was that, I guess uh, I liked it. What was that amazing? <laughs> what was that amazing Atavist piece about the murder? That was really um, good. What uh, was that? The yeah. cannibal murderer. The, yeah. The Ryder yeah, sent it to us. Yeah. Turn of the century. That yeah. was amazing. But that, see, like, that that was, like, a sustained essay. And reading that on the Atavist, all the all the stuff that's... Uh, oh, the angel murderer or something yeah, like that, right? Yeah, the angel killer. Angel killer. By that's Deborah an amazing Blum. essay. Yeah. yeah. But something like that, what, if you... If you um, read that on the Atavis on with headphones, uh, there would just be like 1920s music. Yeah, it was right. creepy as hell. 19-teens music, yeah. creepy music. Yeah. And then like you'd flip and it would suddenly have like a map of, or headlines from the actual articles uh, or news events of the day and then you'd flip. So that to me was like a sustained long-form essay that just happened to have these bonus materials, which I think is the way the Atavis has usually functioned. Yeah. And I've, and then, but this one went for something bolder and bigger which i really appreciate but i'm i am on the fence about whether whether it's a great form or not i mean i i for me it was like oh you've captured you've captured the sort of uh fragmentary experience of being a modern consciousness right yeah which in itself is a really cool artistic achievement like this form feels the way i think i think when i'm in new york city like if i'm in new york and i'm walking around with my headphones this essay kind of captures that like words and sounds and fleeting moments and and all of that is really cool and fragmentary but i don't know if i need my essays or my literature to be fragmentary like i actually want it to be sustained 
because my life is too fragmentary and right. my feelings are too frag. Like I feel divided and split up and like my attention's torn in a million directions. So I really want my essays to be like in the David Foster Wallace mold where it's like, here, I'm going to take you on an adventure, turn off your brain and just follow my brain for a while. If I have to sort of, I don't know. So I, but I don't know if that's just me being too, um, old fashioned. Like if I'm just kind of stuck in my ways and that if I'm not, I'm not being open enough to a new literary form that we're really, I mean, that's what we're talking about here. This is the potential for a brand new literary form. And I don't want to be the person who was like graphic novels aren't literature, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. I think that that's why I come down, even though I feel like this anxiety and weirdness experiencing it. I mean, I did enjoy it, you know, and if it is, let me, let me put it this way. If this was something that someone put on their Facebook and I clicked on it and then went down the rabbit hole that way, I would send it to like everyone. I would be like, this is the coolest thing ever because I would be receiving it, not expecting an essay or a literary experience. You know what I mean? It's, it's the way that we're thinking about it. And you know, writer, I really, I don't think it's an essay and I, I guess it presents as one, but it's really more of a diary and, um, and a poem, really and a poem. Aspect, yeah. yeah. And the things that I really liked about it, in terms of the experience, was like you know uh, snippets of dialogue that he's overhearing, mm-hmm. and those would like zoom across the page, and they're like all in different fonts, and they look so cool. And that is actually visually an artistic experience that is really neat, like that we don't usually get um, in any. I mean, in most printed matter form like we wouldn't see different fonts and and that you can't see you know what the next thing is going to be until you complete reading you know some the words that are like fuck you says the guy in the street or whatever (laughs) um and then you're like i want more of that yeah (laughs) and it's something else um so you know know, yeah it was cool i i think i'm gonna come down on i liked it but um you know no i'm gonna come down on i don't think I liked it, but I think my kids will love it, and I won't criticize them for it. <laughs> he um, he has, I think, though, even though we don't know what this quite is, the best description of hipsters I've ever read. If I can just read this brief section. Oh, he rails against them. So. It's kind of harsh. Yes. But it's, he's accurate. I think it's the bar, the bar is Ivy League hipster central, a milieu of tattoos, irony, unacknowledged trust funds, and sublet lofts. No figure, except perhaps a derivatives trader, is more reviled right now, particularly by other hipsters. Certainly no one will admit to actually being one. It's always someone else. Posers, wannabes, face-eating consumer of cool, ruiner of all that's new. The hipster is sort of doomed wanderer trudging about the blogosphere in search of the latest, greatest, most radical and transgressive cultural hit. He's hated and hates himself because he has no real allegiances, no real taste, no desires at all except to be safely at the center of the edge, to be edgy, just like all his friends. Whereas in reality, he's just at the edge of the center, no more transgressive than the lamest suburbanite downloading the Jonas Brothers on iTunes. I See, Jesus. I hated all... I did not like that. I thought it was lazy. However, I did think at the very end of that, like the only part you don't read is he says... The hipster is like a reverse Midas. Everything he yes, touches yes. becomes lame. Uh, that yes. I thought was good. But the rest of it is like, okay, and, and this is the same as my earlier point. I'm sorry. I, I drank so much iced coffee. I'm very hyper. <laughs> uh, it's 10 o'clock. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is the same as the sound headphone. Because right. is there anything yes, more, it is. Is the, it no, more hipster is. than but sitting listen, around no, no, writing like, about hipsters? He, 
But no, right. yeah, he's... And then at the very end, he's like, wow, look back on my diaries. Well, now I happily am, like, completely brainwashed to living in Brooklyn with my kid. And I'm like, oh, my God, you did it. You, like, created a hipster over this amount of time. And mm-hmm. that hipster is yourself. Right. So, like, anyone who's railing that bad... And those references, I mean, like, come on. Like, not all hipsters have trust funds. Not all hipsters... No. You know, like, Most it's, these are easy... No, not most do, because... You know, in certain situations, Todd, both Ryder and I could be easily be considered hipsters. So, you know, like there's, and of course, acknowledging that, you know, no, that's true. That's true. The fact that we, you know, the fact that we have a podcast makes us somewhere in the hipster conversation. (laughs) So it's true. Yeah. Uh, So it's just like I feel well I'm teaching teens right now and they're talking about some other word to denote cool people that I can't even remember because that's how lame I am but hipsters aren't even part of the conversation anymore that's you know what you know what is interesting though is that the word cool has existed as the term for being cool since the 1950s radical didn't last out of the 80s didn't make it out no awesome stuck around for a while and but cool and dude have really stayed like those two words are, you know, dude I, was a newer thing in the '80s, and it's it's stuck around. It's that's lasted. Dude awesome is part is of my really, my daily lexicon. Yeah. Dude is just awesome. Is has totally normalized. Yeah. Awesome is like the same as good. So I I sent yes. you guys an email about um, Baudelaire because I wanted to bring him up in relation to this. Um, have either of you read Paris Fleen at all? Do you know this book? No. Okay, no. so it's a really great. Um, it's Paris Spleen or the Parisian Prowler is the is the translation that I like the most um, by Kaplan. And it's Baudelaire. He did a bunch of prose poems. I think there's 50, exactly 50, um, about Paris in the 1850s and just sort of walking around. And this is where he created the Flaneur character. I'm sure you guys have heard that. Oh, that, right, like right, The whole right, notion right. of like yes. the observer who's also an integral part of the city. I mean, this this was the birth of that whole sort of uh, literary persona and I was so reminded of that listening to this essay because that's you know he's sort of like an insider outsider like here I am in New York hearing the sounds of the, the street and and like Baudelaire I felt like the project was attempting to replicate the experience of walking in the street so the Parisian Prowler has these mm-hmm. great prose poems and you know just the idea of a prose poem at the time was really revolutionary in 19th century France to to just to not be rhyming, to not have structure, to just write prose, little prose portraits of people on the street or uh, people seen through windows. And, you know, um, the most famous one is this, is this poem called Crowds, uh, where Baudelaire says, Not everyone is capable of taking a bath of multitude, enjoying crowds as an art. And only he who can go on a binge of vitality at the expense of the human species is he into whom in his cradle a fairy breathed a craving for disguises and masks, hatred of home, and a passion for traveling. Multitude, solitude, equal and interchangeable terms for the active and fertile poet. And he just kind of creates this, you know, this character, this flaneur, you know, this persona who's walking around and he's seen poor people and forgotten aspects of society. It's a very romantic vision. You know, there's lots of use of the word soul and... And it, it was coming at a time when, you know, industrialization was hitting France hard and Paris hard. So the notion of a city and multi, you know, the collision of peoples from different social classes, um, it, it, you know, the, the, the prose poem and Baudelaire's collection 
became like such a great literary representation for that fragmentation that was going on, that mental fragmentation that was happening to people in the city at the birth of what we think of as the modern city. And so I was reading this thinking like, this is a, this is the new version, you know, this is that form. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure. If, and I'd like to think that I'd like to be optimistic, but then I, I, because I wasn't able to underline anything because it's like a fleeting <laughs> moment. It's gone. It's already gone for me. Like when right. you brought up the hipster thing just now, Todd, I had literally forgotten that that was part of this essay or part of this poem or part of this piece. Like I remembered it once you brought it up, but I didn't incorporate it because it's so fractured. Like there's that rant in the middle of right. the thing. Then there's like a moment where he talks about how his brother was blind and he grew up with a blind brother, which you're mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's actually a whole story. I oh, want to know. Is that, yeah. but then it's never mentioned again. So this like fleeting fragmentary schizophrenic thing that's happening, uh, I don't think actually resulted in something that is going to last for me the same way that like, Baudelaire's poems I can go back to but I wonder if that's me just not being avant-garde enough or cutting edge enough or contemporary enough like are are we just old-fashioned are we the people sitting around when Baudelaire published these poems going if he had only written them in regular poem structure then they would be (laughs) real are we those people or are we just I mean yes I'd like I don't know but I also feel like I could write don't you feel and this is a weird criticism and maybe it's not fair but I kind of feel like I could write a parody version of what we read very easily. Like I could, don't you feel like we could go around with a microphone, <laughs> record a couple sound effects of like Silver Lake at night. And then I could like write a series <laughs> of like weird lines, like the talking, the ticking clock, the time has come. I must leave now. And then like uh, you flip the page and then it'll be like an essay on like the guy who walked up the block of Silver Lake, you know, down the street from my house. Every It's like these moments are kind of cool, but they don't, I don't know if it was saying anything, ultimately. Well, I think the challenge for something like this is that it is shining a light on this thing, and then we are experiencing this thing at the same time. So we're both looking at this issue of the fragmented world while trying to enjoy this. It's it's getting very fucking mad. It's reflective of the experience, right? But does being reflective right, of the exactly. experience, I don't know if I want that for my literature. Like, just just, just reflectivity of, like, my mental state is not... I like, I like surrendering to a new mental state. Like, that's what I like, is mm-hmm. somebody taking me on a journey that doesn't feel like the way I'm flipping through my Google or Facebook feed. I don't know. Well, you know yeah. what? You know what is sort of strange for me is that this, like, since we started doing the show, I've started to read a lot of graphic comics. Like, you guys remember when we started, yeah, I didn't read, read graphic comics at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But subsequent to us starting the show, I've read a shit ton of them, and it has sort of changed the way I experience narrative. Because I look at things and I think, oh man, this would actually make a pretty good graphic yeah. comic. That you could do this and this and this with it. And so when I was reading this, I thought, you know, am I am I pulling back from it? Because sometimes I felt myself pulling back from it because it's it is challenging what I enjoy about reading, which is making my own sounds right. or making my own visions. Or is it, do I just have to think of it as one of a kind? You know, that it's it's something new under the sun and I should just appreciate what I'm looking at. Yeah. And I guess it's hard to say. I, I mean, I I found the the swiping to bring in new sentences and things like that. It made me aware of the design mm-hmm. element. And that took mm-hmm. me out of the piece. So it, I, I enjoyed the experience of it more than I think in retrospect, I recall it just like you right. were saying, Ryder. That 
I, I don't remember a lot of the details, but I remember laying in bed thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. And I love all the sounds. And then being done with it and going directly to sleep and then not thinking about it at all. That's what I mean. That's, that's, <laughs> Afterwards. See, I don't know if that's a failure of, of the form yeah. or just a failure of this piece. Like, that's what I'm curious about. And I also wonder if it's mm. a failure of our mental state. <laughs> you know, like, is it is it right. something that somebody who doesn't love literature should read? Like, I don't know. I mean, somebody who loves mm. comic books but doesn't like reading a big, heavy, you know, book, like normal, traditional text... Would this be a way for them, like somebody who wouldn't read Baudelaire, like who just never thinks that that's an interesting experience, would this engage them in a way that, like Baudelaire engages me because I'm that type of person. I'm more of a text-based. You know who it's perfect for is that person who spends a lot of time watching YouTube videos of stuff where text comes on and says, you know, five years later, and then a a lion hugs a man on the savanna or whatever it might be while (laughs) while Whitney Houston sings. (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's a mixed media that we're already right. living in, but it's doing, yeah, it's attempting yeah, to tell yeah. it without it's actual It's just doing pictures. it well. Yeah. So. I think, well, the only thing that separates this from radio is, you know, because, I mean, radio is probably my yeah. second favorite media, and I could absolutely see it, you know, as I age and get more and more, you know, I'm pretty recent to it, only the last, like, five or six years have I gotten really into radio and podcasts and stuff. You know, I could see it, you know, eventually in my old age being, like, even eclipsing my love of reading. Like, I like listening. But what's different that, that what makes this different, and I'm glad you guys said this because I didn't realize it, is, like, the choose-your-own-adventure, like, self-centeredness of saying, like, I want to control this experience in some Mm -hmm. way. Like, both radio and reading are, as you say, Ryder, complete surrenders. And, like, that's what we need. Like, what? why do we have this, like, weird ego that we have to be, like, I must press the space (laughs) bar for the words to appear. (laughs) You know, that's weird. That's super weird. And it's, I, I don't know. I think the piece is really good. The idea is really good. I think what phones and interacting to them like due to our brains is bad so i would never want this to become a substitute for Mm. you know anything really like as a cool new add-on just like youtube the the youtube rabbit hole is a joyous part of my life as well (laughs) um but it doesn't substitute for anything else you know i'm not like shall i read a see i feel like i'm waiting i'm waiting is there going to be an artist like a really great poet, artist, writer, person who's going to produce one of these really well, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, I, cause I don't feel like this was it, but I wonder if somebody out there, you know, some 19 year old is going to be like, this is the form mm-hmm. I was waiting for. And they're going to make yes, this. I think that, yeah, I'm sure that that person's already love, out there. And, and I think it should be, I think it should be a poetry collection. You know, I don't, I don't think it should just be one pseudo essay poem like this, but like a, something that, that I don't that you could take in little five minute bits, mm-hmm. you know, with a little sound design, a little poem, mm-hmm. and flipping and interesting, and then you can set it aside and, and then share it. Maybe it would be more shareable that way too. And you you can't set this aside. I mean that that's the thing about this is you can't read no. for five minutes, set it aside, and pick it yeah, up the next day. You have to read this right. all the way through at one time. I mean, you're not required of it. I mean, there's no penalty, but it's it is a it's like going to the movies basically you you don't want to go and see one third of the movie and come back and see the rest later you want to go through this whole at the whole time and, yeah, and i had that similar that experience now. pardon me how many times have i started have gone onto goddamn netflix and watched two minutes of 20 movies and then given up many <laughs> oh <times>? yeah that's <laughs> true that's true 
I, I was that way with Man of Steel recently. So, yes, oh, I, I'm with you. Yeah. Anyway, go on, go on. Sorry. But I, I think it's... I think there is a beauty in it, but I don't think it is the same beauty that comes from reading a book. Right. That's well put. That it's a different, it's a different medium entirely. Right. And can we just... I don't know. This is now I'm just feeling upset because like my phone was dying and I had to charge it and you know as Todd mentioned like all these like other sounds are coming from like behind it saying like you have email and all this whatever it is not in any way the same as having a piece of paper that you can make notes in and you know it's so different I can't I can't even believe that people are pretending that it's the same it, even a tablet is so wildly different to me no. that this no. was just a, a yeah. hyperextension of that. Because it's true. When I read on the iPad, if I'm reading a book and it starts to bore me, I'll just, you know, I'll go look at ESPN.com, you know. But normally if a book starts to bore me, I'll just, you know, I'll power through it or I'll skim to the, I find some dialogue or something. But the reading on the tablet, and it's different, I suppose, reading on an iPad than reading on a Kindle or something where, you, well, I guess all Kindles are online too, but... Where it's so easy just to close it and just open up, you know, playing solitaire or whatever. So now that we sound really old, I remember what the word is, the new hipster thing. And maybe you guys know what this oh, is. Cool. Uh, my teens were um, bitching about other teens and how they thought they were so seen. Oh, yes. That's, I've heard that's that term. It. That's the new thing. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I've heard seen. Yeah. And that just yeah. means people that and are into like uh, a... anything. Like if they're into emo or they have like a character-y... A, a scene that they're a part yeah. of. Scene? Yeah. So it's like you're I think so it means seen. like pseudo punk. No, yeah. I, I think okay. I, I, I think, think it's, it's a, a catch-all category thing. for anybody that's not just trying to be themselves, but trying to adhere to mm. the. Like poser? so, is it yeah. scene with a C or scene with two E's? Well, there's two E's in both. Scene. S C. Okay, my understanding of it. Yeah. My understanding of it from their extremely poor explanation, which means it's definitely the hit. They were like, you know, scene. You know, I'm like, I I don't know what you're saying, guys. But my my understanding was that it's like a. And I think maybe this comes from me making assumptions on the word. Like it's this derivation of punk and like east village like they have dyed hair but they don't have piercings you know mm. what i mean and they have like you know little wear like a, a you know kgb bar t-shirt but they won't have any tattoos that is what i was kind of getting from them like straight edge talking about it <laughs> huh. um well even straight edge people are like punk in that way you know That's like true. straight straight edge people will pierce or like harm themselves or whatever but seeing people seeing people are just like they know it's a phase i think i think i don't know this is just me trying to pick up from 15 year olds they'll harm themselves yeah it's no big deal they're cutters yeah the other day i was i was coming out of the local mall um so there's a local mall where i live where the barnes and noble has to happens to be and I was coming out, and some goth kids were having a fight with some punk kids about who was more goth or who was more punk. And this one kid's walking away, and the goth girl is screaming, you're not punk, you're not punk. And he said, I'm not punk, I'm hardcore. Oh, and my she's God. Like, you're, you gotta live it, you gotta live it. And they're just screaming at each other, and I'm like... You know what? I remember when those bands on your shirt were together. <laughs> like that—that that was the thought in my mind. 
Teenagers are my favorite. They're just my favorite group on earth. They're so hilarious. But yeah, uh, scene. If someone could explain it scene. to me, slash yeah, us, I would be really appreciative. Yeah, well, I have a, I have a well, friend who, yeah. for writing a screenplay, she did research on a, and she spent time with a bunch of high schoolers. And the way she explained it to me was scene was just the catch-all category for anybody whose identity was a sort of given group. So it's like, if hmm. you're goth, if you're punk, if you're hardcore, if you're vampiric, if you're, you know, like there's these different groups that, that, <laughs> that in high school kids decide that they're a part of and all of those groups together are just called being seen or part of a scene huh. or thus you know wow yeah. that's the way she explained I'm it to totally me out of but it. maybe it's different uh, so we're now no that that could definitely be right but i wow yeah that that i okay i i can see how that would fit in with what i was hearing but then that's really sad right that that's basically saying like any countercultural decision is lame that's no, what that that's also that's, that's been the case is. with kids there. I know. I mean, isn't that just I mean, recognizing like yeah. the rebellion of youth is kind of just the rebellion of youth, which I think is probably a good yeah. thing. Like, and I think it's 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 actually I think a ter- I, I don't know the way I got it was that it was more about tolerance, like because I feel like in the eighties if you wore eyeliner and you you know dressed in black people freaked the fuck out and called you a Satanist. Right. You know, and at least now, you know, and then you might end up in prison like the Memphis Three. But like, I wonder, and now I feel like it's probably more acceptable. Like, oh, you're just, you're the, you're the, you're a skater. You're going through that scene or you're this, you're that, you know. So could a person be hella seen? Hella seen. I don't know. Only in NorCal. Yes, that's how my kids were using it, honestly. Yeah. That's how mine were. My, that's how my kids were using it, and they were using it with judgment. Huh? So <laughs> seen. It was like, so yeah. seen. Oh, that yeah. guy was hella, hella seen. seen. Oh my god, he he was at the gelato shop, yeah. and he was hella yeah. seen. There's nothing more seen than talking about <laughs> which, seen at the gelato which, shop. But honestly, like this does sincerely like concern me because if it means like all of these like weird subcultures i disagree with you Ryder. like i don't think teenagers should think like well i'm just going through my phase i think they should actually go through it and like do those crazy things devil like, worship and that like kill a nine-year-old shift. and yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know i mean i think i think a healthy well maybe you're right maybe the kids but i don't know if the kids themselves are aware of it as a phase but i think that cultural recognition of it like is better like, I would rather it be okay that, like, guys wear eyeliner and nails and not be, you know, beaten up for it for being gay or whatever just because they But I think it, there's, a, a, there's a difference between... I think that's between, two different things. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's also different in a big city versus but a, I think, a But I think city. in so, general there's more so of acceptance... So if you're acceptance, that way in, in L.A. But there's way yeah. more of acceptance of the idea of, like, goth or whatever. Like, being weird as a teenager yeah. should be cool or should be okay. I totally, I totally agree. I think we're actually yeah. in agreement. I'm just suspicious and worried that the word means the opposite. Right, that it's of what just the newest. It right. Like, oh, they're so that it means right. hipster. That it's the new right. hipster. It's the newest thing. way to you know what I mean? Like other kids for so trying here's to what be we'll something. Do. Yeah, uh, that's right. what I'm worried about. Listeners, if you could let us know on Twitter or on Facebook if we have used the term and here I quote "seen" correctly. <laughs> Particularly our younger listeners. I know we have some younger listeners. If you could tell Grandpa Ryder and Grandma Julia what, what scene means. And great, great grandpa. Great-grandfather. Well, grandpa Todd might be dead by the time. Uh, this Born happens. in the olden times. Back in the 70s. The 1860s. Oh, boy. Yeah, if you could let us know that, that would be hella sweet. Hella sweet. Pull <laughs> yeah. us in on the scene, yo. That would be sick. 
That'd be so sick. <laughs> that would be rad. Is that just a Jersey thing? Is that just a Jersey thing what sick? I just did? And that's it for this episode of Literary Disco. Join us in two weeks when finally we take on the great Mark Twain with the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Literary Disco is produced, edited, and saved each week by Tucker Ives. Follow us on Twitter at Literary Disco. Like us on Facebook. And thanks for listening.